0: This podcast is proudly sponsored by Simmental Australia. The versatility and strength in both maternal and terminal trays should make Simmentals your first choice crossbreeding partner. So isn't it time you took your Simmental advantage?
1: Welcome back. I'm your host, Ollie Lalive, and I'm looking forward to sitting down with you again this week. I hope you've been sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for this one. Brody Karachar is an absolute firecracker and geez he's having a crack Brody was really excited to catch up with some of his great friends and people that he's met over his time over the past eight years or so in the simmental breed here in sydney Brody's love of animals started at a young age he had the opportunity to get some of his own flock he bought some sheep alongside his grandparents at the age of 10 and this love has followed him ever since Brody mixes his time as a full time vet with his growing Simmental stud, where he's been identifying opportunities and travelling globally to get the best genetics to suit his operation. Brody is definitely not just an up and comer, he's really cementing himself within the breed and within the broader industry. And I hope that you really enjoy Brody's story as much as I did. Brody, it's, uh, it's good to have you in Sydney. You finally made it.
0: Finally made it after a bit of a delay earlier this morning, Ollie. Is Sydney Royal a regular one for you? It's not. I've actually never been to the Sydney Royal. I um, thought I'd make the, the trip up and got um, a day off work as well as the weekend off work to make sure I was here for the, the 50th anniversary. Since I thought, well, most of Australian breeders are going to be here and probably some of the best cattle that we've seen maybe since the World Congress, uh, which was before my time in the
1: breed. You, you've you spent a bit of time out um, in, at the show ring there. What do you reckon? Is it, is it some of the best that you've seen?
0: I'm liking. There's some pretty powerful females in there that um, have probably been brought down a, a peg in frame score since uh, in the last ten years, um, which it's it's good for efficiency. It's good for the females going forward, and they get back in calf. So I like that aspect of it. Yeah. Anything high on the agenda for the next
1: few days over the weekend that you want to check out here?
0: I think mostly just catch up with all the other breeders that and some friends that i've made in the breed over the last eight years or so um some of them i well it's been two years of covid um some of them i haven't seen in that time and others i have the old phone call with but yeah don't get to catch up very often so that'll be the best thing and hopefully tonight's a good night and everyone gets around each other and has a has a good yarn and whatnot
1: yeah no i think that's the best thing about social events these days it's Everyone just seems to be a next level of excitement. <laughs> Get a bit overexcited sometimes, but that's all right. Yeah, as long as you can hold it together. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of um, your background, you're from down in Western Victoria. So tell us a little bit about where's home for you.
0: So my grandparents' family farm, or well it's the family farm now, I suppose, but my um, my nana and pa, they're uh, they always based around, around Hamilton. It's out... At, the main farm's at the Wannon, and um, Nana's got a few other blocks dotted around, which um, which works. Um, they've always been down there. Mum was from down there, but when I was born, like, we're, Dad was a stock agent, so we moved around a fair bit from Horsham up to Holbrook and Cass and Mount Gambier, and then um, I went to uni for six years, and, and now I'm back um, pretty close to home in Warrnambool. It's only an hour away from the farm, so that's good. Um, I'd like to have more time on the farm, but... Um, the vet works pretty busy at the moment, so um, just keeping up with that and the farm at the same time proves difficult at times. But we'll get there.
1: How do you approach it? Like, what does it what does it look like now?
0: Um, so I'm full time in the vet clinic, pretty much um, five five days a week. Um, you get one day off every every couple of weeks. Uh, plus, I do on calls on weekends. Usually one one month a weekend, uh, if not two. Um, with with the amount of work we've got coming through now. So um I have I'm very lucky to have mum and dad at home on the farm. Um or they they own an, another farm across the road from bananas where I run my cattle. So um they keep an eye on everything and if they've got any dramas, they give me a ring or shoot me a text and say, you better come and give us a hand doing this or that or whatever and if I can get there then it's great. And if I can't, well I have to wait till the next time I can get there, which is not always quick.
1: <laughs> In in terms of running your own cattle, was this something that you had aspirations for growing up? Was it something you were able to do with moving around following your dad's work?
0: It wasn't a possibility for a long time, no. Uh, like you say, moving around, just it didn't work. Um, once I was I was 10 years old, uh, once we were finally semi-stable back towards the farm, and I asked Nan and Pa if I could have a few sheep for Christmas. And um, we went out in the paddock and I had to pick the ewes out, the mobile weathers, and I got those five years, and that was my start sort of in farming um, as a 10-year-old then and I just grew it slowly from there. I got my first cow at 18 when we were, well, i just finished school and then then obviously uni took over for the next six years so it wasn't overly easy to be able to build anything during that time but it was just a slow progression and again, I was lucky I had the family support um, and then my great-auntie and uncle, they also had a few sheep of mine over at their place which I was working with them with and... Yeah, it's just, it's been very slow build to sort of now.
1: So. And how many livestock are you running now?
0: Uh, at the moment, I've got um, 300 crossbred ewes um, and then I've got 120 cows in the stud, in the semi-stud. Um, with further expansion planned in the next six months, um, I should take over another a lease block of, of nanas. Um So we should hopefully see those cows cow numbers double.
1: Yeah, wow, that's exciting.
0: Just trying to... Through the embryo program, um, pump the pump the numbers up a bit, but maintain the quality. Um, if it's not good enough, it won't stay, and we'll just get some more commercial receipts or something like that.
1: When you're starting out, what was it that drew you to Seminole? You had all all the choices in the world when it comes to starting something.
0: Yeah, so this goes back a fair way. I was um, I would have been four or five at the Cassiden, um Agricultural Show and. One of our family friends was the Creek family, um, and Brad Creek, he, he's got six Creeks, cementels. and so it was himself and his brother Scott at the time were running that, and they had a, um, a big bull there they were going around the Grand Parade. It wouldn't be allowed now, but they were riding the bulls, and uh, one of the bulls decided to ride the bull in front of him and jumped up and, and just... That sort of that sort of sticks in my mind as something that I was four or five and then just like, wow, yeah, these these things are cool and they're big powerful bulls, so which has probably changed a little bit to now. The simmies are a bit more moderate and a bit more soft, but um yeah, that's stuck in and then I got to ride back in the truck and got to take this bull back to their place and yeah, that sort of kicked it off and a few of my um my cousin was using simmies over the Hereford cows and that um, that cross seemed to work really well in the halves and the three quarters, and um, yeah, I just like the cattle commercially, and obviously as a kid I liked the power in them, but that was a long time ago now.
1: Yeah, oh, it's a pretty fun memory though. <laughs> Tell me, um, decision to go study vet. You obviously, if, if you're getting into vet school, you have got plenty of options. Well, what were those options? Was it always going to be agriculture?
0: Absolutely. Yep, it was always going to be ag. Um, I toyed with the idea of going home on the farm, going, driving trucks, going, um, being an agronomist, rural banker, sort of everything tied to ag. But in the end, I probably wanted to work more so with the animals and less in an office. And and one old lady told me I couldn't drive trucks or I'd get hurt. So And that was when I was real young. So that shook me off that one. Um, and I felt that vet probably tied in most with, the fact that I want to increase productivity and prevent well, animal welfare issues, animal diseases, everything like that, um, it would benefit me me as well as other people probably most on the farm and as I was going into vet, I thought, well, I could probably help out some other people here given that my background is in farming and there weren't a lot of kids going into vet school that come off farms, um, especially where I studied in Adelaide, so I thought I could help others as well as myself, so it's a bit maybe a bit selfish,
1: but... Um, it's, it's working at the moment Not at all I don't think In that Adelaide experience What was it like Was it was it a real focus on um, Smaller animals and people who were Heading back into the cities or
0: um, A lot of the kids were from the city But some were some were keen to do mixed practice And branch out into the large animals Me myself um, I didn't see it as a huge focus on large animals But there wasn't equally a shift to small animals either It was a true sort of mixed animal course Um the hardest thing was where it was, was it's out in a, a viticulture and um, broadacre cropping country. So there wasn't a whole lot of cases for for large animal and to, velo- to develop young large animal vets. Um, but no, uh, it was a good course and got through it. And everyone that I know, well, most people have gone into small animals. Um, there would be half a dozen of us that are doing large animal work predominantly. So I, I would have liked to see more more of those kids switched from city living to wanted to go out into the rural space. But if they're happy, they're
1: happy. So, and, and and the goals you say helping helping farmers, helping people with disease management and that. When you step into the vet world, is it was it what you expected from those early days and from uni?
0: Probably not. Um, you spend a lot of time chasing your tail in the vet world and trying to fix trying to fix issues. Uh, before you can then even start to think about helping them prevent the issues at the start and it's when you're chasing your tail and you're coming home buggered and you're laying on the couch and you've fallen asleep for your first six months of your work you're like well where are we going to find the time to get in front of myself and actually help help these fellas do it um so it's yeah it's a little bit of that
1: day-to-day life what does it look like for you down in Warrnambool there?
0: Uh, so I was starting work in the mornings at 8.30 if I'm not on call. I just start at 8.30 and um I'm doing mostly dairy work, a little bit of beef work, but so typically through through the winter I'll be seeing um lame cows, sick cows that have probably freshly carved most of the time, like four to four to eight week transition period that are just not not doing as they should, not doing the yields that they should and uh, not doing the leaders. Um any afternoons you might be looking at some sick calves. Um, it's yeah, a lot of a lot of prevent well, not preventative health. It's a lot of fixing the fixing the issues rather than being preemptive about it. But um, with Apium, they're doing the the pro dairy program, which is more about preempting and preventing those those issues from occur-
1: occurring. So
0: um, yeah, that's good. But um,
1: does, does working on the dairy side, like obviously they they're so data-driven in terms of what's happening, in terms of genetics, everything on, on that side. Does, is, does that get pretty exciting for someone who's who's breeding their own beef cattle on the side?
0: Yes, it does, and no, it doesn't. Some, <laughs> yeah, some, in
1: what ways? Some,
0: some farmers are, are really astute, and they'll be just smashing the data out on their, on their computer systems, and it's above my head. Like, I can't keep up with them with their dairy data and everything, whereas other fellas... That, they're more relaxed and they're happy doing what they're doing. they're making enough to get by and and probably making plenty more than that. they're just happy doing what they're doing and or as their grandfather might have done, or whatever so they're they're the more casual ones and um yeah they're less focused on the data they're just happy with fat fat healthy cows that are milking well they shouldn't be fat if they're milking very well, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, just just balancing the work life in Warrnambool and, and breeding, has, has it been something that you've been able to, to, to juggle? Was it something that you nearly had to yeah pull the handbrakes on a little bit, maybe frustratingly?
0: When I started work, yeah, it was it was frustrating in that I was annoyed at myself for doing 80% of everything and I wanted to do, be doing 100% of everything. And, like, I was playing sport and I was uh, doing the vet work and then I was trying to do the farm at the same time and... Again, I was lucky to have the family that could help me make sure the farm was still ticking well, but it still wasn't 100%. My passion's in the farm and the cattle and, well, partly the sheep as well. Um, So I'd I'd like to be doing that 100% of the time, but at the same time, I don't want to pull my finger out of the pie of being in the vet world because I learn so much from it and can implement so much of that on my farm, on my mate's farms. It's it's little conversations at, at the pub or at the dinner, like someone will ask me about something and I'll give him a little tidbit that I knew and it might help him. You just never know really. But um, yeah, as as for balancing, it's it's an ongoing thing yeah. all,
1: all the time. Oh, yeah. mate, I know exactly how you're feeling when it comes to balancing multiple things. <laughs> on, on the breeding side, um, the conversations and, and accolades, I guess people saying that you, you're being fairly innovative in terms of how you're approaching your breeding and, and really thinking outside the square to progress your business, but then also the, the flow on effect that has through your stud. Um, where did the ideas come from? How did you, yeah, well, firstly, what have been some of those ideas that you've been in- introducing to your stud over the years?
0: Um, so I suppose the, the major thing that we did was get over to Canada. Um, and the US. We went to Texas and pretty much all of Alberta, a lot of studs in Alberta. I think we saw 15 studs in about 12 days over there in the minus 30, minus 40 degree.
1: you got to go in summer. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: know, I should have gone to the Calgary Stampede. But anyway, it was the wrong time of year. That's wh- that's when uni holidays allowed it. Um, so, yeah, we went over there and over the last few years since going over there and um, meeting Jason Briquetta of JB Livestock and also Brian Valentine at Pro Stock uh, Solutions, um we've yeah imported well over a hundred embryos and put a fair swag of those in already and we just saw the first progeny of those sell this year um The reason for going over there was to find some the cattle of g- different genetic lines um and I primarily went over there to find the cattle that also suited the Australian conditions because a lot of the a lot of the Canadian and northern hemisphere cattle some of them don't suit like they're they're a bit small they're not quite mobile enough for Australia and they've got a bit much hair but um yeah, we we were able to find some good cows at at Brian's and Jason's um that suited here to the ground. Um and the progeny of yeah, it sold quite well in um in our February online bull sale that we had, um, a couple of those going to studs and, and I think those blokes were literally chasing new genetic lines that they could whack over the whole herd just blanket mate, because uh yeah, some of the some of the cemental pedigrees were starting to get a bit narrow, I think.
1: And so that idea, where did that that come from
0: um probably myself I was I had a lot of females by one bull in particular and um I was trying to go find a, a bull to buy and a lot of the bulls would buy or had him in the pedigree as well I sort of and then I was stuck um and then you'd find one that was at this stage I was 20 and if you, you find one that you thought was the well beater and you're like yeah I'll buy this and then it makes 40,000 or 30,000 or 160000 so <laughs> um, I was in no man's land there. I had to do something about it for myself. Um, I couldn't really. Um, being, being a young bloke in the Cimentel Breed, you do get a lot of help from other breeders, but you can't ask them to find you and pay for, pay for a new bull for you. So, yeah, I went and found it found it myself, and um, we've got a couple of bulls that we've kept from that from that outsourcing.
1: So you went over when you were 20 so a few years ago. How quickly were you able to start seeing those results come into your lo-
0: um, it's probably twelve months ago, really. Um, seeing those weaner bull calves come off the cows, you know, like, yeah, these things are these things are good and and are strong and and just powerful, and and more moderate in the birth weight than than some of the stuff I already had here, which is good for the carving ease. Um, and and those those heifers that they just re-bred really quickly and everything like that. So they were um they've been good, but now now they're their calves are coming on the ground too, those first calving heifers. so And and they're even more moderate, again, in the birth weight because I mated them to one of the bulls I brought over and um, it's all just starting to blend a bit. But don't get me wrong, I still need to blend them back to the Australian genetics um, just to make sure that they're still being um, very suitable for the conditions here. And especially if some of those progeny are going up to Queensland, um, some of the bulls that we, we sell go up to Queensland and they just need to be mobile and slick and, and strong, so...
1: How long do you expect to see, so from the the time that you kind of yeah went over, got the genetics to actually then seeing them being versatile and, and adaptable to kind of a lot of conditions in Australia, how long do you reckon?
0: Uh, how long's a piece of string, it was like, well, it was two years before the calves are any good here, it was a good couple of years flushing the cows, so that's yeah four years and then... Those progeny have got to be a couple year old before we really see the proof in the pudding of those. So it's six, seven, eight year process really, which is almost as long as I've been in the bre- in the breed. So um, it's it feels like a long time, but it, at the same time it hasn't felt felt very long at all. Yeah, feels like I was in Canada yesterday.
1: God, it's not a bad place. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's good. Talk me through the very first bull sale that you you ever had, or, or first bulls that you sold.
0: First bulls that I sold would have been. It was my first ever stud calf, actually. Um, got the, f- the first cow when I was 18, and um, it had a bull calf, um, it, twin bull calves, actually. The second one, it was uh, I made it a steer pretty quick. It just didn't have the pigment that the first fella did, and I quite liked this calf. Looking back on him, he's, he's not a patch on the bulls we sell today, but um, a stock agent was a good enough fella to come over and have a look at him, and I said, Oh, well... Um, I think I said four thousand dollars at the time, and he was like, "Oh, how's three and a half sound, mate?" Sort of. I was like, "Yeah, righto, that sounds pretty good, actually." <laughs> um, and so, yeah, my my first stud calf that I ever bred was sold as a bull, and I thought, "Well, this is going alright," but it's a whole lot harder from there. So, um, no, it's it's not an easy game to be in bull selling. Um, but I had sold rams before, and I knew it was hard as hell doing that too. So,
1: what do you what do you mean by that?
0: Being uh, being an 18, 19 year old, 20 year old, trying to, not, well, yeah, you're trying real hard, but um, producing a product that's good enough and then having enough experience, I suppose, without having any experience at all, nearly, to know, yep, yeah, this is something that, this is a product that the producer will want or need or pay for um, without pushing too much of your own money into developing that calf. Um, or, or that bull, um, and then sending yourself broke in the, in the process. I mean, it's pretty hard to do that on a couple. But when you when you're younger and haven't got a lot of income, it can happen pretty quick.
1: I want to ask off the back of that: what's been the best learning you've had through this whole process? Uh, that's a tough question, Ollie. No, nah, is there something that, that stands out to you?
0: Even when you think everything's going pretty bloody well, it's it can turn pretty. Pretty quick. It doesn't matter if it's in the vet world or farming; it will be part and parcel. But um, yeah, you can never get too far ahead of yourself because
1: it can all come crashing down pretty quick. And so, for that, things are obviously going pretty well in the the cattle game at the moment. How do you how do you keep this momentum up for for what you're doing?
0: I think just keep the quality up. Like good cattle always sell. Um, steers are making plenty, so what's to say you can't cut the extra couple of um bull calves, you think that might be good bulls, but if there's something there that uh has me on on question, I'll just yeah, that's it um it will go as a steer because your steers are making two and a half thousand bucks as as wiener calves so uh and there's still still good money in that as long as you're not cutting everything because um, then your stud cows are not really <laughs> not really stud cows anymore, are they cementals offer of the commercial industry a crossbreeding option and no other breed can match. Fast weight gains and superior milking ability are just a couple of the advantages you will gain when Simmental genetics influence your breeding program. Whether you breed them for the veal market through to the heavy export market, there is a Simmental option out there in the color of your choice. Isn't
1: it time you took your herd to the next level in performance? So 50 years of the breed, obviously, this year. You've been part of it for, well, one-tenth-ish of the yeah, time or yeah, thereabouts. Yeah, not, not quite one-tenth. <laughs> well, coming into the actual society those years ago, what was that like?
0: Uh, it was sort of unknown. Like, my family had never had stud cattle. I'd never been part of the Simmental breed. Um, I just sort of walked into it unbeknownst to what was going to happen, really. I... It initially, I thought oh, I'll just breed a few stud cows and breed a few of my own bulls for later on in life when I get the commercial herd and just do that. Um, and it turned from a bit of a hobby to a bit of a business within three or four years, just just through selling bulls. So um, that was that was good. Uh, the the breeder support that I had when I was young was probably the thing that kept me in it. Um, like I had. Stu Mowick, the cousin, current president, um, Johnny Hopkins, um, Brad Creek, uh, those those sort of blokes, like I could chat to them about anything, like nothing would be too much trouble for them. I could ring them and or text him or whatever, or I'd talk to them for about three hours and they'd probably sick of me. <laughs> but um, that, that also um, just, I don't know, sort of drilled at home that, yeah, I was in the right place and had the right help that I needed and, and yeah, nothing was t- too much trouble for those those few fellas and yeah, they helped me. And then same with the um, Canadian fella that I'm getting the embryos off, Jason Briquetta, Like it isn't, he um, he was happy to see a young fella starting out, um, getting his genetics over here. And I mean, sure, it's a double-edged sword. He's getting his genetics into Australia and promoting his, but he's also helping, helping me increase the quality of my herd and um, help other breeders if if they want to use so those genetics and so far we've seen that a few people do want to use them so it's it's been good.
1: What um what is your advice to like young people who are thinking of having a crack themselves or getting involved or whatever it might be?
0: Save a few pennies and buy a good one first. <laughs> buy a buy a real good one. Um it'll send you in good stead. Uh, cow families are the go. That's what that's what I found. Um I whenever I started buying heifers I would always just chase cow families. If yeah, they just dependable and repeatable and you just daughter on daughter on daughter. If they're, if they're good for a few um, few generations, you know they're going to be good for – that was the standard test of time. So if, if any um, young aspiring breeders are out there, go find a, a good heifer or a good cow out of a good cow family and just get mum and dad to help you buy her. <laughs>
1: put, the, put the bank loan on. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Put your school holidays on uh, online yeah (laughs) for for the next five years or ten years
1: so you mentioned that well there wasn't really a a youth program for you coming through it's something that um bill and others are are really starting to grow and 70 odd 75 76 people um turned up for it here before the show started um that'd be pretty exciting to be kind of just a few years ahead of uh, those guys and girls
0: yeah, I feel like I'm um, I'm past that nearly. <laughs> I, I happily throw my hand in the ring and help out. But um at twenty six I feel like I'm a bit older than most of those guys that were out there parading. Um I mean Annie Annie won the won the handlers there and, and donated the money back, so that's good of her to do that. Um and any other help we can get for the for the youth programme, I'd I'd like to see it like an Angus roundup or something like that. Um we just need we need the cattle and we need the kids that are keen. And with COVID, hopefully, out of the way, then maybe we can get something like that going. Um, it doesn't have to be as big as it, but um, if we can get it going, then it just encourages kids and it promotes the breed. And um, if there's enough breeders willing to help the kids out, then it's it's good It's good for everyone.
1: Yeah. I think um, it's, it's pretty impressive, Annie, donating it straight back, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely.
0: She could have easily gone and used it to... Buy a silver heifer or something, but <laughs> yeah. no, it's good to see it back in the back in the account. Hopefully, it's not in the account long. Hopefully,
1: using it using it on some more kids. Absolutely, we we talked about the, well, the fifty years of the breed so far, but um, the breed into the next fifty. What's exciting you about it?
0: I think it's just the fact that it's um, well, it's growing in popularity in some parts of Australia. Obviously with the the Angus breed taking off in in New South or the eastern seaboard essentially and through South Australia, um, the black simmintels are going to come into their own. Um, They're getting used over a lot of those herds, which is good to see. As for the traditional bulls, well, we've just got to make them a bit more commercially viable um, and I think we've seen that in in the last eight years that I've been in it for sure. When I got in, they, they didn't have enough fat on them, they were too big and too lean and um, and I shouldn't say we, because I've, I've only done a little bit but most, uh, most of the traditional breeders in Australia have done a really good job in, in transforming those cattle into a, still having the same punch but um, just a bit more efficiency in those, in those cattle. So hopefully into the future, into the next 50 years, those traditional bulls will start to get used in crossbred herds a lot more because they got so much to offer as a, as a crossbred bull um, and keeping those, those heifers like they're the bomb really. Um, it's not a very technical term for them, but they're pretty cool.
1: <laughs> it's certainly um, been a bit of a, a theme. I'm already picking out off of a few of these conversations. It's the, the opportunities in crossbreds and and how how well suited simis are to that.
0: Yeah, well, they just got a few options. Like, doesn't matter if you're chasing the veal market, the wiener market, the background market, the bullock fattener market, or you got um, up north. Um, all five of those applications is the bulls fit it and it doesn't matter if you get to selling your calf and you're like, oh, that market doesn't suit, we'll go to the next one, or that market doesn't suit at the time, or here we go, we'll hit this one, the wiener market's good, sell them all. So they just sort of fit all the applications. I might be biased, but that's what I think.
1: One final question for you is, obviously you mentioned um, balancing or or juggling lots of balls at the moment. So in terms of the future for you, you you mentioned you want to, or the lease block, double um, the number of cows you've got but still doing the vet stuff farming wh- where do you see yourself um, yeah I- in the future running around like a headless sheep. No. <laughs>
0: um, no it'll be it'll probably have the vet stuff will have to back off a little bit I don't want to pull out completely though because um, it's yeah like I said before you just keep learning all the time and you're always developing skills but the um, the cattle will probably take forefront um, and If I can build it to a stage where it's creating enough revenue, then if I I can um, employ someone to help me out with it all, then um, that'll help me still keep a finger on the pulse in the vet world as well. Um, So, yeah, into the future, well, grow a few more cows, um, sell a few more bulls, um, just keep the quality up and see if I can keep running around and making sure everything's on track. Simple as that. (laughs) Easy. Brody, thanks for coming and having a yarn. No worries. Thanks, Ollie.
1: Well, thanks for joining us for episode two. They continue to give and the stories are as diverse as the people and the areas they come from. Next week, we're sitting down with Audrey Waitman and she's a recent inductee into the Australian Simmental Hall of Fame. It certainly caught her by surprise here in Sydney at the Royal Easter Show as part of that celebration. Join us next week. I can't wait to share Audrey's story with you. Hers is honestly absolutely incredible, and, God, she's done so much. Can't wait for you to hear this. This podcast is sponsored by Cemental Australia. Unlock the potential in your herd
0: and take it to the next level in performance. It's time to take your Cemental advantage.